Amen. It's a good singing out there this morning. Thank you for participating. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I do want to encourage you to be a part of the marriage conference. It's coming uh, February 27th. We'd love for you to be a part of that. My wife and I have attended the previous two and looking forward to this one on the 27th. So I hope you'll make your reservation to be a part of it. Uh, we are excited to have Carl Carty here with us uh, on that day. But uh, he's also going to stay over and uh, give a concert here that Sunday morning. Uh, during the 11 o'clock service, uh, he'll lead the worship at 9.30, and then uh, we'll have a teaching time, and then at 11 o'clock, Carl will do the whole concert here for us here at the church. So I hope you'll invite someone and come out and show up on February 28th also. Ephesians chapter 5. Well, now, I've had people say, and, and this is all they'll say, they'll just walk up to me and say, you know that's not the color, don't you? And I'm like, well, obviously, you knew I was trying to get the Carolina colors, you know. But anyway, this is the best I could do. So if I've offended you, I'm so sorry, okay? Today, we're going to do something a little different. When you do a verse-by-verse study of, of a book, like the, the book of Ephesians, uh, you're supposed to do it expositionally. You let the text speak for itself. You kind of draw things out of the verses, out of the words themselves, the phrases. Today, we're going to have to do something a little bit different. We're, we're going to actually do a topical message. And so the flavor of this message this morning is going to be more like a Bible study. And so we're going to have a glorified Bible study in here this morning. And, and basically, uh, this is not my favorite way to teach, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes to understand the context of what God's Word is saying, you have to pull a lot of verses in uh, to make that point. And that's exactly what we're going to attempt to do here this morning uh, with this morning's lesson. So go ahead and look at the introduction there on your outline. Someone has said the Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. Now, if you've truly lived the Christian life, you know that to be true. It is. We deal with battles. We as Christians are under attack on three fronts, the adversary, the world, and the flesh. And we need to be aware and alert. To be successful in this battle for our soul, we must analyze our enemy, utilize our weaponry, and realize our victory. And this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the first one there. We're going to analyze our enemy. Two weeks from today, we will be looking at the other two, the whole idea of utilizing our weaponry, what has God provided us to stand against the enemy, and then we're going to realize the victory on that Sunday also. So I hope you'll join us not only for today and next week, but two weeks from today. So the message this morning is this. We're going to be looking at the enemy behind the darkness. Now, before we go any further, let me just say this. I'm going to share some things with you that you may have never heard. Uh, Some people, let me just tell you how the world looks at the theme we're going to be looking at today. Uh, The the political stuff is all in the news every time you turn it on. You've got all kinds of primaries going on, and it's coming to North Carolina whether we like it or It's all coming this way. Now, here's one thing to tell you how out of touch the world is with what we're going to discuss today. I want to share one thing with you. Three of the candidates have been criticized for what's what they what the the people call fanatical beliefs, radical beliefs, and, and what they're trying to do, the article was intended to cause harm to those particular candidates. And what it is is that they believe what it appears to be is that they believe God's word. They take God's word as God's word. I think that's a good thing. But the way the world looks at it, they look at it completely different. They're, they they want to deny the things that we're going to discuss here today. They they would say that that's all fantasy. 
that it's just not true. But y'all, based on the authority of God's word, it is true what we're going to share here today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us a study. We're going to look at the enemy, and we're going to look at his cohorts. And, and, and not only that, I'm going to show you the verses. I'm going to pull the verses up so that you see it for yourself of what we are up against as Christians. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 8. Now, chapter 5, we've already done most of chapter 5, but verse 8, if you remember several weeks ago, here's that verse. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light, walk as children of the light. Now, notice the phrase, you were once darkness. Before you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible doesn't say necessarily that you walked in darkness or you're living in darkness. It says the essence of who you are is darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of alarming when you think about it. Darkness defines who you are, and that's the phraseology that he's using here. And so he says that, now, but now that we are of the Lord, we're in Christ, we are, we are light in the Lord, and we're to walk like that. Now skip down to verse 11 of chapter 5. He says, we need to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now here's what that means. If you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer defined by darkness and the works of darkness. You're now defined by light and the works of light. And not only that, Paul says this, and don't go back to have fellowship with what you came out of. Don't go back to it. Stay away from it. And so don't have any fellowship with it. Instead, you need to expose it. You see, our culture wants to deny that there is darkness. They want to deny what's behind the darkness and the enemy behind the darkness. They want to deny that any of that exists. But y'all, it does exist. And then he says this. He says, instead of doing that, expose them. Now, here's what that means. Here's what it literally means. If I'm going to walk in the light, here's what it means. I need to know what's going on with the darkness. I need to know what is the enemy up to. I need to know what the darkness looks like. And, and for many of us, we've lived that darkness. We've come out of it. Don't have fellowship with it. Expose it. See it for what it really is. Now go to Ephesians chapter 6. He's, going to, he's tying something here. Verse 10 says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to look at that two weeks from today. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the strategies of the devil. And then he says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We're going to break that verse down in just a little while, but here's what you need to understand. While we do fight the flesh, the battle is really fought with the enemy. He is behind it. He's orchestrating things to, to be pitched towards your flesh. That's, that's the temptations that he brings. He's devised the world in such a way that it carries the message or carries the whole idea of deception. And so he's behind the work. Now, last week I challenged us to look at our lives from this context. We need to live our lives in the context of God. How do you do that? By being filled with the Spirit of God. But y'all, it's more than just being filled with the Spirit of God. There's more to it. We must be aware of the enemy and his works of darkness. And here's what we need to also understand. We can't take his works lightly. Did you know in and of ourselves, we will never defeat the enemy? But greater is he that's within us than he that is in the world is speaking of the enemy. 
There's something greater that works in us and through us. So here's the point. Here's where I want us to go this morning. I want us, as it, look, as it, as it relates to the subject matter, when studying and dealing with the enemy and his forces, many of us can go to two dangerous extremes. We can either underemphasize the enemy, and as a result, we'll fall prey to it every time. Did you know that? When we try to take him lightly, when we uh, underemphasize, Guess what our future looks like? You remember the story of Adam and Eve? They didn't take the enemy seriously. They fell right into it. They, they, they bought in. And the thing is, we can't afford to take him lightly. Jesus, however, did not underestimate the enemy. Adam and Eve fell. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. But you fast forward to Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus, with the same temptations that Adam and Eve dealt with, he felt, or dealt with some of the same temptations. And guess what? He didn't fall. He didn't fall. He didn't underestimate the enemy. Or we can overemphasize the enemy, uh, make too much of the enemy, uh, where we blame everything on the enemy. So many times I'll hear people say, I'll tell you one thing, that, that enemy, he is so, man, he, he, he just wear me out. Well, guess what? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have authority over the enemy. Through the blood of Jesus. You, you have authority. And, and it's not one of those things you got to cower under. But so many times you hear people, the way they describe the way their life is, it's always defeated and, 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 and so many things. But the thing we need to understand is we, got, we can't overemphasize it. We should never have a fixation on the enemy. You do know that, right? We don't go through life saying, I wonder if there's something behind that bush or something behind that bush. The Bible doesn't paint the picture that way. We need to be aware of those things, but we don't put our eyes on those things. Isaiah 26 says this, God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. The focus has to be on him. Not on, the, not on evil, not on the darkness. It has to be on him. We need to be aware of what's out there, but our focus must be on him. We need to know about the enemy and how to protect ourselves from the enemy, but not become obsessed with the enemy. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to reveal to you who the enemy is based on the authority of scripture, based on what the scripture says about it. And so the best way to do that, look on your outline, or looking at the names and the character of the enemy. If you go back and you look at um, certain names in scripture, you're going to see that the names describe the character of the person. Let me give you a couple of examples. Joshua, did you know that that name means to bring about salvation? Jesus is derived from the same thing. It means salvation. But, but when you look at other things, you see that it reveals other things. So that's what we're going to look at in just a moment. Now, this is not on your outline, but the enemy has 22 different names mentioned in Scripture. We're going to look at 12 of them very quickly. Look on your outline. First of all, Satan. It literally means he's the adversary. It's the most common name for him in Scripture. It's used more than 50 times in the Bible. Then you have devil. It means the slanderer, used more than 30 times in the Bible. Thirdly, you have a very interesting title for him, Lucifer. It literally means the shining one. Some, some people would say the brilliant one or the brilliance of one. And, and, and by the way, this is the name that was given to Satan or the enemy, listen, before he fell himself. Now think about that. Before Satan fell or the enemy fell, 
He was known as Lucifer. We're going to read about his beginnings a little bit later. But here's what's interesting about it. Lucifer wasn't a bad name. It describes someone of brilliant, something of beauty, something that was shining, that was good. And, and guess what? He had a prominent place in heaven, like we're going to read about in a little while. But, but that's what his name was before. Now, here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Next, here's another title, the God of this age. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. There's another title, the dragon. Revelation chapter 12 says this, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The dragon there is the enemy. It's a reference to the enemy. His angels are the demonic host. We'll talk about them in a moment. Next, you have the deceiver. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, the devil, the deceiver, was cast into the lake of fire. It's the same person. It's all these are descriptions of the same person. Next, you have the destroyer. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 9, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. In the Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. Now, here's what's also interesting. Jesus himself said in the gospel of John that the enemy this is the same enemy, has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Did you know if you were to walk up to the enemy, which don't do that, but anyway, and you were to say, what are you all about? In modern terms, he would say this. My vision is to destroy anything God has built, to, to, take, to, to somehow demean everything that he's sought to do, whether it's a work of creation or a work of something within you yourself because you're a child of God. But that's, that's his goal. That's his vision. That's what he's all about. So we see the destroyer. Next, interesting title, Beelzebub, which is the prince of demons. Now, here's what's interesting. In Matthew chapter, 20, in Matthew chapter 12, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus himself is out there performing miracles. The religious people who are looking on said this, he must be Beelzebub the ruler of the demons, because no, look at what he's doing over there. He's doing works. So he was even accused of being Beelzebub, but that's, that's a name given to the prince of, of demons. Next, you have the tempter. And let's be honest, that's how we, we tend to know him best, as the tempter. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to, you, to know your faith. Paul's talking about, I wanted to know how your faith is. Lest by some means the tempter has tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul was so concerned of, of the fact that he went to this church. He's invested so much in this church and the people he loves have invested so much in this church. And he, he wanted to see, well, how are you doing? You haven't caved into the tempter, have you? You haven't fallen for the enemy, have you? He wanted to know because that's who, how he's known. Here's another one, Revelation chapter 12. We see the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. The Bible says this in Revelation 12. Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now here's the way that works. How many of you have ever been tempted before? Every hand should go up. Every one of us have been tempted. Have you ever noticed how, how Satan will do it? He'll pitch it to you like, like oh, man, here's something. You know you, you know you want this. And he'll put it right there in front of you. And he's like, he's, he's your biggest cheerleader. He's like, go for it. Go, go. And all of a sudden, you partake of it. 
And the moment you partake of it, he turns on you. He turns on you. He, he starts saying, well, look at you. He not only does that with you, according to Scripture, he, used to, he would go to the Father and say, hey, is, oh, by the way, is that one of your children down there? Would you look at them? Look at what they're up to. That's the whole idea of the accuser of the brethren. Next, he's the angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Paul is saying this, that behind those who preach a false gospel, behind those who are out there who seem to be representing Christ, some of those are really angels of light. They appear to be light, but they're far from being light. They're really darkness. He says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Here's another one. He's a roaring lion. The Bible says, Peter is telling us, be self-controlled and be watchful. He's saying, be aware of what's going on around you because your adversary, the, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't mean to cause alarm to you, but you need to be aware that if you know Jesus, you are in some ways a target. You're a target. He's going to look to bring you down. And, and let me say this. I've found that the more influence you have over people or in people's lives, sometimes you're a bigger target because he knows if he can somehow bring you down, he can bring down a lot and cause a lot of damage. Next, I want us to see the personality of the, of the enemy. Here's what's interesting about the enemy. There's three things that give him personalities are the three things that give us personality. And the first thing you see there is he has intellect. He has intellect. Did you know that the devil is, is he's an intellectual? Did you know you can't outthink him on your own? You can't. The only way you can outthink him is through the truths of God's word. It's the only way you can do it. I mean, he'll have you so turned around, and many of you have fallen for it. I, I've fallen for it before. He'll have you so turned around in deception and all that, but, but he's very intellectual. In Matthew chapter 4, I want you to get the scene here. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized. Now, what do you remember about his baptism? The Bible says that the heavens opened up, and God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you think of a, that had to be a great day in Jesus' life, don't you think? And I mean, I mean, all that surrounded that. And guess what happens next? If you go and study your Bible, do you know what happens next? Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days as he begins his public ministry. At the end of that 40 days, guess who comes calling? The enemy himself. The enemy himself. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the enemy pitched every temptation that he could at him. Pitched everything at him. Gave him everything, including the kitchen sink. I mean, listen, this was a battle between Jesus, the ultimate of good, and the enemy, the ultimate of evil. In this account, we see just how wise, cunning, and deceptive the enemy can be. Then, these verses in Matthew demonstrate the enemy's intellect. He's a very intellectual thing. He can engage in a, in a head battle with you. But guess what? There's something else about him. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to this. It's the same account of him being, Jesus being tempted. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Here, you know what that literally means? Not only is he in, is he has intellect, he's intellectual. Not only that, he's strategic. You know what it says? It says he left, but did he leave for good? No, he came back. How many of you noticed that you'll have victory in your life sometimes? 
I mean, you're feeling good about your victory. And I mean, some, I mean, just right out of the blue, almost, almost immediately, he comes at you with something else. I mean, he's always, he's always looking for an opportunity. He's strategic. Or strategery, however you want. No, I'm just kidding. The personality of the enemy, number two, he has emotions. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the, and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now, isn't that ironic that the enemy knows? He knows he doesn't have so much time. Yet he fights with everything in him. The anger, the wrath that he has towards the works of God. Next, he has a will. He has a will. Uh, we know that because guess what? He chose to, to walk away from God and what God had for him. He convinced others to go with him. But listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a description. Paul was telling Timothy, hey, when you, when you look for church leaders, they need to be spiritual. And here's what someone spiritual looks like. Look at what it says, verse 24. Well, listen to it. I don't have it on the screen. Here's what it says. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. He's basically saying there's times in which those spiritual leaders need to confront people with the truth. And here's why, that they may come to their senses. Let me ask you a question. Have there ever been a time in your life where you came to your senses and you thought about what you'd done and you thought, what in the world was that all about? How could I have done that? That's the talk here. But he's talking about those that are to arise up in the church that they may help people come to their senses. And then it says this, and escape the snares or the trappings of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. So we see that the enemy, not only does God have a will for us, the enemy has a will for us. His enemy, the enemy's will for us is to, to steal from us, to, to steal our joy, to, to take from us, to, 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 to destroy us. We see that so clearly. Next, the limitations of the enemy. This is my favorite part. The enemy has limitations. Let me, let me tell you about the enemy. Did you know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had no beginning and will never have any end? Can you get your mind around that one? None of us can, but that's a fact. But did you know there was a time before there was the enemy? Did you know that? The enemy is a creative being. The enemy is not someone without limitations. He, ha he has limitations. God, who is God, who's creator, he has no limitations. The enemy has limitations. He's a creative being, and that tells us three or four things. First of all, look on your outline. He is not omnipresent, meaning the enemy cannot be everywhere at once. Now, let me say this. Some of you are like, are you sure about that? Because here's what you're thinking. I've heard of terrible things going on over there in Europe. I've heard of terrible things going on up north there and over on the coast. And, and boy, let me just tell you what I'm dealing with. It sure feels like he's here. But there's more than just him. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that when he fell, he convinced a third of the angels to go with him. And y'all, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of influence that went with him. And those became what we know as, as demons. 
And, and so here's what we know about Satan. Job chapter 1 tells us this. There's amazing, it's amazing some of the descriptions we have of Satan. It says, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Where you been, Satan? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. That wording there is an implication that he can't be everywhere at one time. He, he has to be around. So third, secondly, he is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Did you know it? In Job chapter 1, there's a conversation between Satan and God. If you've, if you've never seen a conversation between the two, look at Job chapter 1. You'll have a conversation between God and Satan. And basically, poor Job's in the middle of the conversation. And, and everything's not going to play out well for Job because it almost appears there's a contest going on between God and Satan. And here's what's interesting. All of a sudden, Satan buys in to the contest, and the contest was that he can get Satan, uh, he can get Job to curse God, curse him, and all that. And basically, Job, Jesus, excuse me, God is basically saying, no, I don't think so. And so you have this contest that plays out. Well, obviously, the enemy didn't know how it was going to play out because Job never cursed God, not to the point of, of we're talking about in the premise of the story. It's very interesting that it played out that, that Job came to the right recollection of who God is. He, he grew in that whole process. But the enemy, it tells us, didn't know the end because he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have fallen for it. Now, how about another story? Does it remind you of another story? You remember the enemy going after Jesus? He just thinks he's killed him off. He's just won victory. What happens several days later? Jesus is back. You think he went to all that trouble to set it up, to, to think that yeah, he thought he had victory. He didn't know the end of the story. He, he's not omniscient. Next, he's not omnipotent. He's not, it means he's not all-powerful. Here's a very interesting story. In Revelation chapter 12, by the way, Revelation chapter 12, is, 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 it really fills in a lot of gaps as to what's going on. But, but here's what you need to understand. There's a war between Michael, who's an archangel, and his angels, and Satan and his angels. Now, let me help you set this up. According to, to Protestant Bibles, okay, Protestants are the group that broke away from, from the Catholic Church, okay? The Catholic Church has more books in their Bible than we do. But according to Protestant books that we hold as the Word of God, there are three uh, archangels, okay? There's Michael, there's Gabriel, and there it was Lucifer. He was once an archangel. Okay, now the Catholics have seven. They've added uh, four to the list. But according to this, you got that. So war broke out between Michael, who's our archangel, and his angels, and Satan, who once was an archangel, and his angels, which were the demons. Then in verse 8, speaking of Satan and his angels, it says this, they did not prevail against Michael and those angels. Now, how many of you find it comforting that another angel can take out the enemy? Do you all find that comforting? I do. It just makes you wonder what Jesus could do to him, and we'll definitely find that out in just a moment. So here's another thing. He's not these things, but he is accountable. The enemy will be held accountable for what he's done. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, he says, depart from me, you curse. This is Jesus saying, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was originally prepared for who? the devil and his angels, prepared for them. Now, keep in mind that while these are not the characteristics of the, angel, of, the, of the enemy, 
They are characteristics of God. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful and can be everywhere at one time. And that's comforting also. Now, here's the beginnings of the enemy. I've got to quickly do this. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. I think you'll find this amazing. Some of you probably have known a little bit about what I'm reading because you've heard it before, but this is where it actually is. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, before you get there, let me just tell you this. I want to give you the past and the future of the enemy. I want to give you a timeline here. The first time that we see uh, Lucifer, who was Satan, recognized, he's in heaven, okay? He, he is a prominent archangel, okay? Best we can tell, Wesley, you might want to pay attention to this. Best we can tell, he was the worship leader in heaven, okay? Worship leader in heaven, okay? Now, I'm not going to go anywhere, but I'm stopping right there, okay? No, anyway, but he's a worship leader in heaven. The Bible says, and we're going to read this in just a moment, he started thinking too highly of himself. And all of a sudden, he was cast down to earth. We know he shows up in the Garden of Eden. That's the first account that we see that he truly shows up in the Garden. He pitches his temptation towards Adam and Eve. Now, he, he's part of fallen earth. Here's what you need to understand. When he was kicked out of heaven, he came to earth. Everything that God's ever created, whether you're talking about creation or what God's trying to do in your life personally, every bit of that's a challenge to him. He wants to destroy every bit of it. He wants it to fall on its face. He's going, he goes after it. And so that's what his mission has been. So he's bringing havoc on creation. His future is this, however. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Okay, I don't have time to explain all that. At the end of the thousand years, he's going to be loosed upon the earth for a short time to deceive the nations again. And then the, the extreme, his final destination is that he will be cast into the lake of fire, never to have influence over us again. Never. Pretty cool, isn't it? That's how it all ends up. But let's look at where he started. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, now this is Ezekiel, he's receiving this word. Son of man, take up lamentation, that means let's, let's build this whole grief talk for the king of Tyre. Now the king of Tyre, based on what we read, is really a reference to the enemy. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. And then he lists a description, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the pearl, the onyx, the jasper, all these things. They described what he took on. It was his clothing. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. These, are, these from best we can tell, are like musical instruments. That's how we know that he was probably the worship leader, Okay. And, and that made up who he was. So everything God wanted him to be, God provided for him to have. He was beautiful. He was brilliant. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. When it says who covers, it's, it's a reference to him being an archangel. It's the whole idea that, that he has influence. He had an influence over other angels. He said, I established you. I gave you a platform to serve me. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were in heaven. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Again, a brilliant shot of heaven. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled and violence, violent within, uh, and you sinned. 
Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Profane thing means this. You became no longer usable because you had fallen. He says, I cast you out of heaven. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, cherub of influence, angel of influence, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Pride entered in. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. That means Jesus is, or God is talking about the victory that I have of you. It's becoming evident. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It, it, from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall, and shall be no, no more forever. You know what he's saying there? He's saying the people who saw you in the capacity in which you were created for, the people who saw that could not believe that you could fall so far. That you could fall so far. That's the beginnings. Next, we see the beginnings of demons. Now, just as the enemy was careful not to, I mean, just as the enemy, we must be careful not to overemphasize nor underemphasize the work in the presence of demons because the Bible talks about it. Jesus believed in it, believe it or not. So where did demons come from? Now, look on your outline. One-third of the angels fell and became demons. They were once angels. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 12. Look here on the screen. And another sign I appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his heads. I don't have a time to explain the descriptions there. It's a reference to the enemy. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, that's angels, and threw them to the earth. He had influence over them, and he took a third of the angels. Okay? Now, look on your outline. There are three categories of demons. A lot of people don't realize this, but the Bible seems to point out there's three categories, okay? The first are those free to roam now. They're the ones who are causing havoc on us. They're the ones who are currently doing the enemy's bidding. That's those guys. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was the place for them found in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole, whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. Second group, those who will be free to roam during the tribulation period. I don't have time to read you this story, but I've given you the verses. Revelation chapter 9 seems to indicate there's those who are free to roam right now, but there are those who are being held for another purpose. That, that when, it, and when it's time, they will be released and they will wreak havoc on the earth. A third group are those who will never be free to roam. These must be really bad guys because he's not even going to let them have influence over us. The Bible tells us about them in Jude chapter 6. It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting change until darkness for the judgment of that great day. Some people speculate that these were the angels. How many of you remember the crazy story in Genesis over here where it says that the angels basically propagated with the women and they had children and that kind of thing? Some people believe that's a reference to those angels. Now, that blows my mind, but anyway, that's, some people say that's the other group. Now, i got to hurry. The personality of the demons, they have the same characteristics as angels. Number one, they have intellect. They knew who Jesus was. Matter of fact, this is kind of an interesting story. Jesus comes up 
and basically confronts someone who's demon-possessed. And the demon within the, the person cr cries out and says, what you got to do with us? Don't send us to where we know we're going. I mean, I mean they were all tore up, but the point was the demon knew who Jesus was. They have intellect. Number two, they have emotions, fear and trembling. James 2.19 says this, you believe that there's one God? So what? For even the demons believe. And they tremble. They have a will. They have a will. Guess what? They chose to follow Satan. They chose to follow him. How about this? They have names. Jesus asked him, speaking of, of, of a demonic host, what is your name? He said, Legion. Next, they can communicate because it says that Legion spoke in Luke chapter 8. How about the rankings of demons? Let me hurry. During World War II, the, the allies fought against Hitler. You do realize that, right? You know your World War II history? They fought against Hitler, yet the allies did not fight against him physically. They fought against his generals, his officers, his infantry. So who are we fighting? Who are we up against? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of witness, with wickedness in the heavenly places. It gives us categories of demons, basically. And they carry out the bidding and the will and plans of the enemy. It's kind of like a satanic hierarchy. Now, the principalities, that's the first group a term used by the Greeks to refer to the highest ranking of the military, the com comparable to U.S. generals. It's the enemy's highest ranking, demons, basically. Now, I want you to do this quickly. I got to hurry, but you got to see this. Turn to, turn to Daniel chapter 10, Old Testament, okay? Turn back over there. While you're doing that, write this down. <laughs> Powers is a second category. Those demons seem to have influence over nations. Daniel 10 introduces us to this category of demons. In Daniel chapter 10, I want you to look at verse 10. Now, now here's interesting. If you want to find a place in Scripture with, with something that's going on behind the scenes that you can't see, but you can almost see the evidence of something, this is what we're getting ready to read. How many of you look at our nation and the world and where it is right now and you think, wow. How far have we fallen so quickly? Have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's amazing. It's almost like there's a master plan out there. It's almost like there's not a man out there smart enough to pull this off. Well, guess what? There's something going on behind the scenes. Daniel 10 gives us a glimpse of what that may be. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me. Daniel saying, something touched me, which made me tremble. On my knees, on the palms of my hands, it caused me to, to almost pass out. And he, speaking of Gabriel, he's another archangel, said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for I've now sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. I could barely stand up. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. He's basically saying this. Gabriel's saying, Daniel, you remember back over here weeks ago when you prayed for this thing? Listen, God heard it. I was the one coming to bring the answer to the prayer. But then he tells them what happened. He tells them in verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, Withstood me 21 days. Now, listen, we're not talking about a prince, a son of a king of, over the Persian Empire, which, by the way, was the empire that was ruling at that time. He's talking about something in the spiritual planes. He's not talking about a man. 
He's talking about something demonic. The kingdom of Persia withstood me and basically held me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, another archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me for I've been left alone there with the king of Persia. He restrained me. He kept me from coming. But Michael came to my rescue. Now verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Do you realize the Greek empire comes after the Persian? You see all that taking place? It's on its way. And he's saying all these things are coming. He's referring to something in the heavenly host. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. He's talking about the hierarchy of demons and angels. He's talking about Michael delivering him. These seem to be demons who rule over the affairs of nations. Y'all, some of you are sitting here and you're like, you really believe this stuff? I do. Because I think I see the evidence of it all around me right now. And I think we've seen it in history play out. It appears that many of the aggressive world leaders of history have been greatly influenced by demons. Adolf Hitler, a man responsible for killing millions, according to some historians, Hitler is believed to have been a leader of a satanic group called the Thuls. Here's another category, the ruler of darkness, rulers of darkness, the demons in charge of keeping people in darkness, the deception, the deceiver demon, so to speak, keeping churches in darkness and all that. And by the way, that's, that's really going on around us. Churches don't even believe truth anymore. I mean, that's the epitome, isn't it? The church, known as the bride of Christ, the most intimate of relationships, cannot discern the truth of Christ. Spiritual host, those demons influence us personally through temptation and causing division that they oppress and even possess. Quickly, the activities of demons, I'm just going to list them, promotes disunity, spreads false doctrine. By the way, you can find a lot of that on TV. Causes physical hindrances, hinders spiritual growth. By the way, that's what a lot of us are dealing with. Hinders the prayers of the saints. We saw that in Daniel 10. Possesses. Yeah, that's true. Oppresses. You see, I believe based on, the, on what I see in Scripture, there's a difference between, between possession and oppression. Oppression is when someone is, is there's an influence over that person. A possession is when someone is influenced from within. I personally do not believe that Christians can be possessed by anything evil because the Holy Spirit resides in the Christian. I, however, do believe that Christians can be oppressed. And I've met that. I've seen it. I think I've observed it in my own life at times. And so, yeah, it can happen. So, here's another one. Blinds the minds of the unsaved. Here's the application. Do you tend to under emphasize or overemphasize the enemy and his cohort's work. Y'all, first of all, let me say this. If this is the first time you've been here, we don't talk about this every Sunday, okay? <laughs> I want you to come back, okay? We're going to talk about marriage next week, okay? But here's what I want you to see. Don't underemphasize the work of the enemy. Greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. I will always believe that. Here's another verse. Write it. If you have, if you're taking notes, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 tells us 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. All these hierarchies and the enemy himself, they can't do it. There's something greater. We don't have to fear these things. There's something greater. But here's one thing I will tell you. We're challenging, we challenge you this morning. to get, And this is where I've seen it the greatest in my own personal life. We challenge you to, to possibly come to a marriage conference on February 27th. Let me just tell you about <laughs> my history of marriage conferences. The reason I know there's an enemy is because of marriage conferences. <laughs> the very first conference me and my wife led, <laughs> I said led, we got in the biggest fight we've ever had, and it got so bad we left before the conference was over. We were leading the conference. <laughs> Any ground that the enemy has taken in your life personally or in your marriage, he doesn't just hand it back. You have to fight. You have to claim victory. You've got to get the holy, he comes after you. The very first conference we had, just going to tell you, very first conference, John and Junior led. Wife and I pulled up on the campus, sat out there for 15 minutes before we got out of the car. We were going after each other like you wouldn't believe. I'm not proud of this. I'm telling you the facts, y'all. And I can't just walk away and say, well, the devil did it. It's so obvious the devil. You would think by now we'd wise up to know it's coming. But we needed what was shared, and he didn't want us to receive it. That's in a lot of areas of our life. So here's what I want to do. I'm getting ready to pray with you. We're not going to have an invitation. I'm getting ready to pray with you. Here's what I want you to understand. <laughs> the enemy is not a boogeyman. He's not just something that your worries under the bed. No, he wants to destroy you. And the only hope you have is Jesus. If you don't know him, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. He's the one that's greater than he that's in this world. The other side to that is this. Some of you need to take back some ground. I hope you're aware now of who he is, who's got that ground. You need to go after him. Not on your own, not through your own intellect, not through your own emotions, not through your own will. You go after him through the truths of God's word. You rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you because it gets real tricky. But you got to have that. Father, I'll ask the ushers to come forward if they would. Father, this time we just uh, come to you. And, Lord, I look around this room, and I think I see several categories of people here. I think I see those who are nodding through a lot of this sermon and agreeing with me that they've, they've seen these battles. Those battles are real to them. And, Father, I thank you that they've seen it. And I pray, Lord, that the ones that have seen it are not living under the deception of it. But Father, I think I look around this room and I think I see people who just, they don't believe in this stuff. Father, help them to realize that there's, there's no answers to many of the things that we're dealing with in our lives and in our world. There's no answers other than these things that we've raised here today. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have a healthy sense of who the enemy is. Not to overemphasize him and give him greater glory and greater victory and greater fears in our lives, but Father, that we realize that, that there is a greater one and he wasn't a created being like the one that we're fighting. He's God. 
He's God the Father. He's God the Son. He's God the Holy Spirit, the one that brings the victory. Lord, help us to cling to that. Father, if there's someone here today who, who seems like right now they're just fighting so hard to, to keep their marriage together, to gain back, gain back the ground that they've lost, that they've yielded to the enemy, Lord, I pray that you help them to see that it'll be worth it all if they just continue the battle. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. Father, for this offering, we thank you for it. We just pray you'll use it to uh, allow us to, to do what you call us to do to reach people. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let me just mention a couple of things to you as we're taking our morning offering. Um, first of all, the, the conference.